0: All right, welcome back to another episode of the Two-Wheeled Rider podcast. You may notice something a little bit different in the background if you're watching this on YouTube right now. And that's because we are in Brian's basement. And the reason we are in his basement is because we are waking up very early tomorrow morning to go hop on a plane and go to... Costa Rica. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. We're going down to ride dirt bikes. I'm sure we'll talk about that on an upcoming podcast. I'm going to put money down that I'm going to put out some sort of video series on that too, so... Pretty excited about that.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to watch that and just capturing the memories. It's going to be yeah, a great time.
0: It's it's going to be fun. Anyway, but we've got other stuff to talk about tonight. And if you read the, uh, the title of this podcast, obviously, we're going to talk about motorcycle travel. Uh, specifically, uh, we're going to say mostly on-road motorcycle travel. But before we get started tonight, uh, we've got our bourbon here. Brian asked me what to get. I didn't realize he was going to get the big boy. But we've got a Buffalo Trace. I don't think I've ever owned a bottle of Buffalo Trace this big. We're back to ninety proof. This stuff's excellent. Been to that distillery before too. You're going to hear that a lot on this uh, podcast.
1: Yeah, I guess I, you know, when I saw Dave at the last one, kind of go through the bottle so fast, I, you know, I got the biggest bottle and realized <laughs> he wasn't here tonight. So
0: yeah, it's just you and me tonight. We will have guests back on, and, and we'll touch on that a little bit, probably in this episode. But a uh, toast for tonight. Cheers. You ever had Buffalo Trace before? No. What
1: do you it, think? No, it's actually good. I know we we drank some um, really good stuff before, but this is actually uh, very yeah, nice.
0: Buffalo Trace is one of the—it's it's becoming harder to find. You can find it a little bit more in Maryland. West Virginia, when I find bottles of it, or even Virginia, I usually buy them up because it's right around the same price as Jack Daniel's, but it's higher proof, and I think it tastes a little better. Yeah, I like so. the taste. All right, so— one thing I just want to touch on before we get into this episode and before a couple other uh, things we have to cover is thank you guys so much for the support we're getting from the motorcycle community. I mean, as we're doing this one, this will likely be our fourth episode that comes out, but it's definitely the fourth one we're recording. And, you know, I'm just kind of blown away. I mean, the support's been awesome so far. So It's amazing.
1: We kind of knew that, you know, it's going to take a little while to grit gain traction. We're still learning, you know, from setup and just getting better at this and just the comments, um, the spreading, the shares of everything. It really just kind of gets us more excited to, to talk about uh, motorcycles.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty cool because the, especially on uh, on some of the platforms like Facebook, it's been shared around quite a bit and there's people commenting on stuff. They're not friends of, I, I, I don't want to say that in a bad way, people we've never met before uh, that have been reaching out to us. So, Really, really cool. I uh, appreciate it. You know, whether it's the podcast or it's the video that goes up on YouTube, please share it. Please let your friends know about it if you feel like it's something they might be interested in. And again, uh, I don't remember the guy's comment, and I wish I had it in front of me right now, uh, but he commented on the Two Wheel Rider Facebook page and said, I'm not even into off-road racing, but I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. I learned a lot of stuff. And, and it was entertaining and, and, and pretty cool to listen to. So the fact that someone that's not even into off-road racing, you know, the episode that, uh, that Andrew and Dave were on and still listened, I mean, hopefully they'll show up at the track one weekend. Yeah,
1: well, that's cool. But I think it's one thing that we talked about very early on is, you know, we just hope to get more people into different disciplines. So maybe it's a guy that's on road all the time and he listens and he comes out and tries his first off-road race, or maybe it's someone that's only ever been off road. And then they're like, wow, that motorcycle trip sound exciting. I'm going to get a street bike and take a trip.
0: And to be fair, we're probably going to have guests on talking about different disciplines that we haven't uh, attempted yet, just for the simple standpoint we want to learn and something kind of cool. Yet is the key word. Yeah. Yeah. We've already been talking about some stuff we want to do. So uh, we do want to get in. Speaking of uh, support, we want to get into uh, some of the people that are supporting the podcast uh, once again, Luke Harding. He, he was our first contributor. He's at the uh the contributor level. Uh he's still with us. We've got uh I don't have the person's last name. They and we'll get into this. We'll have a quick commercial later on. Uh but Dylan on on Patreon is one of our patrons on there at the contributor level. Uh one time contributions. I'm going to mention Dave because he did throw in five bucks. I don't know if he remembers that he threw in five bucks at that point in the night, but Dave is a one-time uh, contributor and I figured it'd be fair because he was on that episode when he actually did it, that we give him that, a shout out. That's
1: actually more than fair because I would expect like a negative 35 there because he contributed $5, <laughs> but drink, you know, like $40 in, in and that, that's true. Dave
0: still owes me money. Um, uh, Kristen Orsini, my wife threw in 10 bucks. Very nice of her to do. Uh, Amanda Knapp, And that is someone, if you were on the Facebook page earlier this week, she did a video uh, live at Supercross and mentioned this podcast because she is going to be on it. If you don't know who she is, uh, check her out on the different social media platforms that She Shall Ride. But if you watch Supercross, you should know who she is because she was just on the Tampa broadcast. She did the Toyota Make Up the Mud. It was like a two-minute video segment. She was also on uh, Race Day Live earlier in the day. Tons of media exposure. Uh, I can't wait to have Amanda on because I want to know what she she got to meet Bubba. Yeah, I uh, saw the picture. I was like,
1: "That's cool." No, no.
0: and he just (laughs) came out of you know, kind of hiding to come back to the
1: Supercross races. So, dude,
0: what was it? It was Adam Sansarillo that was looking for Bubba like a year and a half ago. No one could find him, and now Amanda's standing next to him at the track. She found him. She (laughs) did find him. That That was pretty cool. The other thing I liked that she did, speaking of she shall ride, she brought her stickers along, and she was handing them to all those guys, going, "Hey, while we're getting a selfie." hold the sticker up, which is great for promotion.
1: Yeah, obviously. I mean, she has her PhD. She's a one smart woman. And I think the marketing side of that and just bringing more exposure to our sport, the family aspect, that two-minute segment just featured her whole family. So I think that's really unique of what she's bringing to the sport and just really trying to get it to grow.
0: Yeah, I was trolling her husband because they shared it. Uh, I think Supercross shared it on YouTube after the fact. And Ryan had commented on it. and I said, hey, the guy in the video looks a lot like you. So it was cool to see Ryan and the whole family on there. If you missed it on my Instagram stories... Uh, their their youngest son, Mason, was photo bombing during Race Day Live, and that's hilarious. Maybe I'll reshare that again so people can check that out. Maybe I'll throw it up on the Facebook page. So uh, Happy to have Amanda on at the production crew level, and, and we'll explain what these different levels are during our commercial break later on. This is a big one. Uh, SRT AMA East Hair Scrambles presented by Beta is on as a production crew level uh, sponsor of the show. We'll touch on them here in just a few moments. Uh, Morgan Graves actually just earlier today so i mean we're recording this on what friday the 21st of february earlier today uh he hopped on at the uh, production crew level on on patreon and we also have jeff uh hokinson he's uh he he's one that messaged me he's at the executive producer level that's the highest level and what's cool about that is is if you want to come on one of my riding events one of the two wheeled rider riding events we're going to do two this year. I haven't announced them yet. I'm still working on the dates. We may do three. The third one will be totally different than the first two. And we'll just say it will involve small fruit if we end up getting that third one in there. Um, But if you sign up at the executive producer level, that allows you first entry into those events that, uh, we've done three of them in the past. They've all sold out within minutes. So thank you, Jeff, for, uh, hopping on at, at that level. Um, we, we do owe some of you guys handwritten notes and, and sticker packs. We will get those mailed out to you. Like I said, uh, we're flying out to Costa Rica tomorrow. We're going to be gone for about a week. We're home for a few days, uh, before we hop on a plane again. So we can go watch supercross and Daytona, but we'll get those out to you. Promise. And then, um, J two Motorsports. What do we want to say about that? I, they're, they're going to be, if you guys are, check out my YouTube channel. You know, I've done quite a few bike reviews. They get, we'll just say lots of views uh, because I try to be as thorough and as in-depth as possible. And I try to only work with dealerships that are going to allow me to keep the bike for a decent period of time. Like this isn't a demo ride. This is me going out and actually testing it. They're going to be providing me with some bikes this year. I can't wait. I I heard the number 790. Not 790 bikes, but those of you that are into motorcycle riding, you know, the number 790 and how important that is uh, when it comes to adventure bikes right now, or just that engine when it comes to a specific Austrian brand. So might be throwing my leg over one of those.
1: Yeah, j two motorsports is just awesome. obviously they've helped us out a lot. Um, but just super family oriented shop. I think you know they always talk about Saturday morning cartoons. Uh, my kids like to go to jt motorsports Saturday morning, rather stride around, you know give fist bumps to to all the workers. Uh, they've just been a you know really big into the youth program, helping out you know the kids, and then as well as just really trying to to make their mark in the industry a uh, super helpful, great service. Just a all around great shop and their new shop, um, that they just, that uh, awesome. location. oh, it's just,
0: it's, you know, you
1: walk in there and you can just tell the level of service you're going to get from just the presentation, you know?
0: Well, I even saw, I mean, speaking of youth racing program, I saw, I think it was earlier this week, like they were even, you know, gi- given some promotion to uh, a kid and I don't know how old he was. He was very small. Uh, he was doing mini GPs, uh, road, road race. On like a CRF fifty or whatever with with slicks or street tires on it, which that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it's so exciting. I mean, Luke's the same way. He sees that and he's like, "Well, oh, what's that about?" And I think it just opens the doors to the many different aspects of motorcycles. Yeah, for sure. So,
0: um, we we just mentioned that SRT AMA East Hair Scrambles presented by Betas uh, on as a production crew level sponsor. Just. Kind of quickly, you have a little bit more experience in AMA East than what we did. We ran quite a few of the events last year. I think Noah Podium, the one up in New York. Uh, but Luke did basically the entire series. You want to touch on that for just a minute about yeah, what AMA first East I, is? First,
1: I got to give a shout out to, to Noah for that round in New York. That was probably one of the gnarliest courses ever,
0: and he, he did amazing. It was nothing but mud. It was raining, and it was on a ski slope. Yeah. Like one one mess up and you're going all the way to the bottom. Yeah, that was all about who's
1: the, the toughest. So he, he definitely showed his uh skills there. Uh, but, you know, AMA East, it's a great series. So we ran it last year and it was just opened up a ton of different tracks. So AMA East kind of um, touches into multiple series and then wraps into their own series. So some of the rounds are in ECEA. Uh, some are all the way, you know, in... Uh, Michigan, down to Oklahoma. They really touch on a lot of series. So what we liked about it is he was able to go to a different region, ride against different riders, and really test his skills against them, and then ride new terrain. We got to fly into Oklahoma. AMA East really has a great organization where they helped us. Paul Ritz, shout out to him. He loaded up all our bikes and drove all the way to Oklahoma. We got to fly in and Luke had that factory experience and it was all organized from the great people in AMA East. He was able to win the seven to nine 65 championship and then go to Columbus, Ohio. And they had a great banquet, super professional. He got to go up on stage in front of a ton of different people and just all around very professional and a, a great series to test your skills against a wide variety of regions and racers.
0: And he was in American Motorcyclist Magazine, this latest issue, because I noticed him in there. He was up on stage with all the rest of the, uh, the number one plate winners, so that's pretty cool. All right, so we're going to take a quick break here in just a moment, and then we're going to come back and talk about... Brian's going to be asking... It, it, we're going to kind of turn the tables a little bit. Brian's going to be doing more of the interview, because we're going to go over um, motorcycle travel. And I know that's a very broad topic. Uh, I will say we'll narrow it down a little bit to mainly U.S. motorcycle travel. Uh, So those of you that are overseas that would like to come ride the U.S., hopefully you get some tidbits and knowledge from that. And those of you in the U.S. that want to go ride the U.S., well, this is uh, tailor-made for you. So we'll be back in just a few moments. Hey, guys, Mario here. If you'd like to help support the Two-Wheeled Rider podcast, head on over to patreon.com forward slash two-wheeled rider. For as little as $2 a month, you can be a contributor. You'll get an on-air thank you, your name listed on TwoWheelRider.com as a contributor, and 10% off any order on TwoWheelRider.com. For $5 a month, you'll get everything I just listed, plus a Two Rider sticker pack and a handwritten thank you letter from Brian and me. And if you want to be a big spender and go up to $10 a month, this is where things get interesting. Not only will you get everything I listed, you'll get a social media follow back by Brian and I, But the coolest part is you will be granted early access to sign up for any two-wheeled rider riding event. And if you followed these events in the past, you know they sell out in literally minutes. So this will be a way to pretty much guarantee your spot and come along on an epic ride. But if you don't want to mess with Patreon, head on over to TwoWheeledRider.com and click on the podcast tab. Any credit card or PayPal account will do. We have all the same options we have on Patreon. In addition to that, we have a one-time contribution. Should you not want to do a subscription and you just like to donate to the show, that would be great. And we also have a whiskey sponsor. I'm not going to go into the details on that one. You can read up for them yourself. And in addition to all of this, once we hit $100 a month in monthly pledges, we are going to give away a Rocky Mountain ATV MC gift card in the amount of $100 to one of our Patreons or contributors to the podcast. But we understand if you don't want to support us monetarily, and we are totally cool with that. We just hope you enjoy the podcast. It would be awesome if you could give us a rating on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on and uh, maybe share it with someone else you think may be interested. (laughs) All right. So that's our quick commercial, which apparently is work because we've got some people supporting us now. So I guess the I guess we're going to get into the whole motorcycle travel thing now. Uh, we've got some uh, topics or specifics planned for this. So, Brian, you kind of want to kick it off. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, a lot of people, I think that's kind of your uh, major
1: focus around your channel is kind of all around motorcycle traveling. Uh, And a lot of people have a lot of questions and myself is included. I I really want to kind of make the next jump. I've talked previously about going along on the wild and wonderful weekend, but I'd really like to kind of take the next step and really travel across the United States. So I think this is going to be just as uh, informational for myself as well. So maybe just kind of talk about your background and how you've traveled throughout the United States.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, So, and I, and I kind of mentioned this maybe in the first podcast, you know, my, I've got quite a few family members that they were big motorcycle travelers. So something I always wanted to do, I kind of didn't get into it as early as I would have liked to, though this is going to sound kind of odd because my first, and I say first overnight trip, it was actually like a four day trip was all the way back in 2013. So we're talking like 17 years ago. So I actually meant 2003, not 2013, but upon further reflection, it was actually 2004. So sorry about the confusion there. And I was on a CBR 600, still with my sheepskin seat cover. Now, I've changed sheepskin seat covers at this point, and I've gone with a little bit, you know, newer one. Uh, But we did a trip down the Blue Ridge Parkway and through the Smoky Mountains, and it was an awesome trip. We hit a tail of the dragon that trip. That was my first experience uh, traveling, you know, multiple days. And then I eventually got rid of the CBR and got a VFR 800. And then a Yamaha FJR 1300. And then those of you that are familiar with my channel know I'm riding around on a KTM 1290 Super Adventure now. Like, that's my bike of choice. Uh, but that's kind of the, my my touring bikes I went through. Though, obviously, a CBR 600 F4i is not really made for touring. But, you know, I wouldn't consider... I don't really consider myself uh, a motorcycle traveler until maybe six, seven years ago. Um and that's when I started doing more overnight trips. Uh, I did the first few uh, solo, and then my, I guess she was my girlfriend at the time, and, and now wife, uh, came along with me on some longer ones. Went down to Alabama, hit the tail of the dragon again on the way down. Stopped by Jack Daniels on the way down, of course. Um, and Went down to Birmingham, check out the, uh, the uh, Motorsports Museum down there, which is unbelievable. And then, I don't remember, it was that year or, or the next, it was probably still that year, might have been 2015, rode up to Maine and, and and called all the New England states. But 2015 was what I would consider my first big motorcycle trip. That's where I ended up at the Grand Canyon, which was not the, the idea for the trip. It was actually to go out and ride uh, Rocky Mountain National Park, but it was calling for rain and storms there for the next two to three days, which kind of defeated the purpose of going because you wanted to see the beautiful views. So I pulled out my trusty Rand McNally Atlas and said, where else can I get to? And I figured I could get to the Grand Canyon. We had 10 days is, is what we had total to, uh, to get out there and back. And we were able to get the Grand Canyon in there, which I don't care how many movies you watch or pictures you see until you experience it in person. You have no idea how large that thing is. It's unbelievable. Um, 2016. Again, we did another ten day trip that year, and and I'm leaving out like the smaller like two to three day or four to five day trips at this point because when you're talking ten day trips, two week trips, three week trip, four or five days anymore is just like it's a fun ride. Yeah, but you probably had those to kind of build up right in the beginning. Yeah, 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 for for sure, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that. But um, early on in 2016, I did. Well, still my only. I've, I've had a couple that have had been canceled, but I did an iron butt ride. I rode from Bunker Hill, West Virginia, to Key West, Florida. I left Bunker Hill at midnight, and I was in Key West at I think eight twenty one that evening, and promptly went out to uh, Duvall Street to Sloppy Joe's to go drink margaritas the rest of the night. So I rode. I think officially it was twelve hundred seventy miles in basically like twenty one hours. Um, and then there's a whole story about getting back, but we. we Actually, we may talk about that later. Um, But our big trip that year was to ride out to Yellowstone National Park. And and we hit up plenty of things along the way. We kind of took the northern route on the way out up through North Dakota. And then we kind of dropped back down into Wyoming to go to Yellowstone. And then when I say southern route, I mean, we were only a few hundred more miles south. But part of it was I wanted to hit some of those states because it had always been a goal of mine to ride the lower 48. So... You know, jump forward to the next year 2017. Uh, we rode all the way out to Seattle and then dropped down the coast through California. And then, when we started basically on our way back, and that was a 16 day trip, well, as soon as we crossed over to Nevada, boom, I cl- clicked off the lower 48 that I'd ridden to and in. So, that was that was pretty cool. Uh, I don't think Kristen really enjoyed that day because that was. <laughs> That was the same day we rode through Death Valley, oh, and it was 121.6 degrees. Oh, I can't even imagine. It's, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, you had to be fully geared up, which sounds odd because it's so hot. But if you cracked your visor open, it was like someone took a blow dryer on high heat and just shoved it right inside your helmet. I mean, it was. Yeah, the air's not your friend. There. No, it's, it's not. I thoroughly enjoyed it. She absolutely hated it, but basically like the exit of the park where we came out uh was Nevada. And then we we stayed I made up for it because we stayed two nights in Las Vegas and she got to hang out by the pool for a couple of days. But um hell when we got to Las Vegas that night, it was still like the sun had gone down, it's like nine o'clock at night or whatever, it was still 108 degrees. And then you got all the cars and stuff around you, which makes it feel even hotter. Yeah. So so that was 2017. And again, we're we're kind of sticking to the U.S. thing. I, I've I've got to ride overseas, but I I'm, I don't consider myself an expert on that. Um, but then two thousand eighteen, I clicked off the lower forty-eight. Might as well ride to Alaska, so that's what I did there. I think that ended up being nineteen days, uh, nearly ten thousand miles. I spent. I don't remember what it was. It was at least an entire week outside of the, the lower 48. I mean, I was in Alaska for two, three days. Uh, I, I could have ridden more up there. If, and if you want to ask questions on that later, you're more than welcome to. But the whole goal of the trip was to get to Alaska. And, and I enjoyed the ride along the way. And then I stayed in Canada all the way until the last day when I crossed back over. I don't remember if I was in Buffalo or Niagara. I'd have to go back and watch the videos, but it, it close enough. And then then rode that back the final day. I mean, I was excited to get home after that one. And then after I was home for like two days, I was ready to hop back on the bike again. But was that your first time riding through Canada f- coming back? It was. Um, we had when we rode up and did the main trip back in, I don't remember, it was it fourteen or fifteen? We stayed in either Niagara or Buffalo one night. I I think we stayed in Buffalo because it was I think it was fourth of July weekend time frame, that sort of thing. So it was, they do like a big fireworks display, you know, I I think in Niagara, I think they did one in Buffalo. We couldn't get a hotel in Niagara, which on the U.S. side, not that great anyway. I'd rather stay on the Canadian side. Um, But I didn't have my passport at the time, and the other guy riding with us, Brad, he didn't have his passport. Uh, Kristen had hers, and my buddy Thad, not to be confused with Brad, uh, they had their passport, so they walked across and Brad and I just hung out there at the falls for a while, so I I really couldn't have ridden in there even while we were up there. So yeah, when I crossed over into Mont uh, out of Montana into uh, Alberta, that was the first time I'd ever set. I don't want to say first time I ever set foot in Canada. I'd been there before, but the first time I ever on the bike. Um, so yeah, I mean that was quite the experience. Uh, the people up there were super friendly. There's some differences between Canada and the U.S., but for the most part. You know, I, I kept saying when I got into Alberta, I was like, they might as well just call this Montana North. I mean, it felt Looks about the, the same, same. Feels so. the same, yeah. But yeah, that's that's uh that's kind of my background. Um, You know, like I said, last six seven years, I've been I've been traveling around the United States. I did not do much traveling in the U.S. last year, and that's because I went to Europe and, and rode for a couple of weeks. But uh, I am going to be doing some traveling in the U.S. again this year. I've yet to set my plans because I've got like two three different rides I'm looking at. They're not going to be you know, 15, 16, 20-day rides. I'm probably going to do maybe a couple one-week rides, something like that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy riding riding through the U.S. I love this place. Yeah, sounds exciting. So I think that kind of brings to
1: the next part is all around. I think I have some questions kind of around planning. As I said before, I, I really want to kind of aspire to doing one of these uh, trips across the country. And I think the first thing that overwhelms me a little bit is how do I – plan my route so i can go in to my computer and go hey i want to ride to colorado and there's a cool uh national forest out there let me plug that into google maps and i have a route and i know that's just going to take me you know on the most direct route a highway not the great fun roads that I really want to enjoy along the way and maybe miss some, some great opportunities. So how do you really plan the route of finding those great roads?
0: Yeah. So you just buy my book, Motorcyclist Guide to Travel, and that'll walk you. No, I'm just kidding. All right. (laughs) Next question. (laughs) (laughs) No, we can get into specifics. Um, Me planning. I mean, so the first thing, I mean, you got to figure out how much time you have. I mean, that that's always going to factor in unless you're retired or independently wealthy and can just travel as long as you want. Um, You need to figure out how much time you have and then you're always going to have like some sort of turnaround point. Maybe you've got a destination you want to see. So so what I kind of do is I pick, I don't want to say where I'm going to end up because I don't want it to feel like once I've got there, the trip's over and now I'm just trying to get home. But find your furthest away point that you want to go and then figure out if you can get there in that time frame. Um, you you know, you're going to have to figure out how many miles you can ride in a day and how many you want to ride in a day. Those that have watched my trips on YouTube know that the first couple of days, don't be surprised if I put in back to back 600 mile days, which for some people, they may say, ah, it's no problem. I can do that. And other people are going to look at it and go, well, that's twice as many as I can ride. The reason I do that is because usually within about 600 miles of my house, or even really a thousand miles at this point. I've pretty much seen and done everything. And it's not to say I don't want to go back to some of those places, but I'm trying to get further away or I'm trying to get somewhere else. So I'm okay with, you know, building that bank of miles up early on so then I can kind of coast later. So um, it, it's really a game of connect the dots. So you need to figure out, one, how many miles you kind of want to ride in a day. And if you're not going to do any stops, then 600 miles is doable. If you're going to add a stop in. And what I mean by stop is like some sort of point of interest. Now, maybe it's Cadillac ranch down in Amarillo, Texas, which eh, 15, 20 minutes, you've done everything. It's a bunch of Cadillacs buried in the (laughs) dirt. I mean, it's not, but if it's a tour or something like that, um, and you know, it's going to take a decent amount of time. Normally, this is my experience. If you're doing 300 miles in a day, you can probably get two decent stops in two different points of destination um or points of interest if you're going to do one 4 to 500 tops you probably don't want to go above that but then it's finding you know what town you're going to stay in that night uh now typically you know I'm staying in hotels so I got to find like some sort of Uh, more urban area to get to. It doesn't have to be that urban, but, you know, a place that's going to have two or three hotels to pick from, that sort of deal.
1: So do you plan that ahead, like, the night before or something? Because, you know, booking a hotel, or are you just kind of winging it and hoping they have a vacancy?
0: No, so early on, I used to wing it, and then one time I showed up, I think it was in Canton, Ohio, and there was, like, some girls' softball tournament going on. Every place was booked, and then I had to ride, like, another hour to get somewhere. Um, So typically what I end up doing is... I kind of know where I'm going to end up the next day and there's exceptions to this, but, um, usually by lunchtime, I know if I'm on pace to get there now because we're on motorcycles, bad weather can happen. That throws you off course. Um, you get sidetracked cause you see something else you want to go check out. That's fine. But normally by lunchtime, I have a good idea if I'm, if I'm going to get to where I want to go that night. So at that point I usually pull out my phone, I'll go to hotels.com or, or use my whatever. I'll use one of my apps to just find out, you know, what rooms are available. And I'll go ahead and book it at lunch. Cause I know like, you know, if I'm 180 miles out and it's 12, one o'clock, I know I'm going to get there. Yep. And I like knowing that the room's already booked and I don't have to, you know, go around. Uh, we're, we're on bikes. It's no fun to keep taking your helmet off and on and throw the kickstand down and walk in, see if you can get a, like, you don't want to do all that. Yeah.
1: And I imagine after a really long day, kind of mentally, you're just kind of ready. When you find yeah. that hotel, you're kind of like, okay, I'm done. And if you get yep. there and say, oh, got to go to the next one, it's kind of frustrating.
0: Yeah, it is. So I, I normally do that at lunchtime. There are exceptions, like there were some more remote parts of Canada that I wanted to go through and the way my route worked out. Um, you know, I stayed at this one lodge, That was the one lodge there was, they were, they were off the grid. They ran everything off generators. So I did book that. It was recommended you book it about two days in advance and I would have had to change my trip if it wasn't available. And what I mean by that is I would have had to change up my stop points uh, either earlier or later. Um, but that one I booked a couple of days out. Occasionally I will book them a couple of days out if it's something special that I want to get to. Um, I think when, when Chris and I stopped in Vegas there for those couple of nights, there's a specific hotel I wanted to stay at. So I made sure that was booked. Um, I'm not one for going ahead and booking every single hotel, of the trip, because if you get off pace one day, now I got to make throws everything 10, off. 10 phone calls to try to yeah. fix, That's a fix good it. point. All. it's just not worth it. So, so yeah, so
1: that, that really helps with, planning. Cause I think that's, you know, the, the first step whenever you want to go, um, I'm going to plan it. Are there any type of technology features of mapping out the program that you use?
0: Yeah, I've actually started using a new, uh, app called, I think it's called the, my, my route app. Uh, it is a paid service. I haven't used it to plan a trip yet, but my buddy Alan was using it when we were over in Europe and I was interested enough. in it. I think I did like a three-year plan on it. Um, but if you're not using that, I still, I mean, this is the way most of my trips work out. I pick out the places I want to go and I try to find like the most random things to stop at because even if it's just something like, I don't remember where I was in the middle of Iowa or something, there was a big giant frying pan. It just makes for an awesome picture. You know, it's a five minute stop. It gets you off the bike for a minute and it's something fun you can share with your friends. Um, But I use a few different websites to like find cool things to see along the way. And, you know, some of like Roadside America, check it out and just spend some time. They got a map on there and all these different, some of them are cool. Some of them are weird. Some of them are kind of stupid, but it's just neat stuff. Um, I see something on a TV show that I'm interested in. I'm sitting there with my laptop and I'll look it up. So one of the things I like to do when I find something interesting or something I want to visit or something I'm interested in, I create a, uh, a Google map and I just drop the pin there and I'll name the map like motorcycle ideas. So then when I go, like, let's say we decide, hey, let's ride to uh, Texas. When well, I start looking at routes and go, all right, what pins did I drop here? And, what, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. And then we'll ride around there. And that that's part of the way I end up designing the route. But ultimately, I still pull out my, I don't know what they are, $8, $10 Ram McNally Atlas from Walmart. Because it gives you such great detail, at least down to like state routes. Like It's not going to give you back roads, but it's going to give you some pretty good detail. And I'll sit down with that, and I start playing Connect the Dots. And then I'll eventually, because it gives you a much broader picture, you can look at an entire state on a, on a page or two. And then I will go into Google Maps or or something like that or, or Garmin or, or whatever, and I'll just start putting the route where I want it. And then I'll take a look at it because... 300 miles of interstate is way different than 300 miles of, you know, mountain windy roads. It's, it it is. It takes more time, yeah. Well, it takes more time and it also takes more concentration. Like anybody can kick crews on and, you know, throw one hand up on the handlebar and, and point it straight. But when you start getting into more technical stuff, it just wears you out a little bit quicker, but... Once that's done, then I export it. I end up putting it on, on my uh, Garmin GPS, which is still just kind of my outline. I don't necessarily follow it verbatim. I'll change things. But the cool part about, you know, using the Atlas is you don't just see the road you're planning. You see all the alternate routes. So, and I, and I take the Atlas with me still to this day when we're traveling, I throw it in the top case and I'll pull it out of there. And, uh, if it, Road closure. You decide you don't want to go that way. Weather's going to be bad in this area and you want to go around it. If you've studied that map, then don't worry about your GPS and what navigation points you have on there. You can you can always deviate from that and then get back on.
1: Yeah, that's great insight. I kind of like the aspect that you talked about that. It's not about just planning your trip where it's just X amount of miles a day, because depending on what roads you're taking, it can use more energy, which brings me to the the next question is how do you kind of prepare for that aspect of riding so much physically? Because I think it's one thing to ride five to 600 miles in one day and then just be done. But to compound that over a long trip like you've been taking, how do you prepare for that?
0: I mean, it's a really good question. So for me, it's actually a couple of things. One, anybody that (laughs) follows me on Instagram and and you hop on the stories, uh, you always see that I'm at the gym at like 4.30 in the morning. I mean, it's just been one of those things that I've been doing for 25 years now. I like working out. Um, But there there are a few things. I mean, one, I mean, it helps if you're in better physical condition because uh, you are taking, you know, the, the battering of, of the elements while you're out there, whether it's rain or wind or, or whatever it is, um, you, your body's going to take a little bit more of a beating than if you're sitting in in a car. The other thing is, I mean, you need to keep some flexibility because of the the position we're sitting in. Uh, it helps if you've got some core strength uh, because m- most of the time, at least when you're touring, you're sitting in a more upright position. You don't want to get in this thing of, of, of slouching. It's not going to be good for you over time. It's also going to wear you out. Um, The stronger your legs are, the better off you are because then that takes some of the pressure off the upper body. You shouldn't be muscling the motorcycle too much with the upper body. It should be pretty easy inputs, but, but definitely staying, you know, flexible because of the position that we're, they're sitting in all the time. But then the other part about it is instead of just the physicality, it's getting that bike set up right. And I'll tell you what, I mean, people can make fun of me on an adventure bike for having highway pegs listen if, if you don't have highway pegs on your bike you' you're probably not doing back to back to back to back to back 600 mile days I, I just don't know how you could do it because your knees are gonna get locked up and tight and and it's not like you know you, you see the guys on like the full dressers or on the uh, or on the cruisers or whatever and they got their legs way up in the air and they ride that I don't ride that way very often I just need to change a position and by having highway pegs, um, you know, I can put my foot on top of the peg, I can put my leg over the peg. Like it gives me like three different positions. And I don't necessarily do both legs at once. It might be one, it might be the other. It just gives me, it. and then I don't have to stop as often, which does allow me to cover more mileage in a day. So you don't have to be in like the greatest shape. You just got to be in good long distance motorcycle riding shape. So some of that comes with the conditioning of just learning to ride longer miles. You just got to spend more time on the bike.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like there's just some tips that you do along the way, the the stretching, um, just moving to a different position. Some of that a little bit helps.
0: Yeah, just moving a little bit, and and if you don't have cruise control on your bike, and I know more bikes are coming with it now. I think of the bikes, the street bikes in my garage. One out of the three has it on there, but there's a what is that thing called cramp buster? I've given that out. We've had them as a sponsor on rides before um that thing's awesome because all it is is just this piece of plastic and what it allows you to do is put it on your throttle it basically stays out of the way it's not a cruise control but what it allows you to do is open that hand up stretch those fingers out a little bit while the palm of the hand rests on on the on this plastic tab that keeps the uh, throttle where you want it to be and then you just go back and re-grip being able to do those sorts of things man it makes it so much easier to live with yeah i can reiterate that it's not something i would have ever bought but
1: Lucky enough to be gifted one from Mario, yeah, yeah.
0: and I can't
1: ride without one now. If yeah, you ride for like, long, what, they're 10, amazing.
0: Ten dollars or something, uh, well, and it's they make well them worth in, it. Yeah, they make them in some different sizes, um, and not just like for size of grips. They've got a skinnier one, they've got a fatter one. You can get a chrome one if you're into chrome, like whatever. But but they're invaluable because when I first got one, I was like, oh we'll see if this piece of crap works." But it was awesome because my FJR didn't have cruise. And by the way, that iron butt I did all the way down ninety five, no cruise control just with a cramp buster. So, you know, just being able to move while you're on the bike. Uh, the other thing is, this is just a real quick tip. And you probably saw us do this when we were on that wild wonderful weekend trip. When you come into town and you're at lower speeds or whatever, stand up, just stretch those legs out. And I mean, stand up on the pegs, just stretch the legs out a little bit. That goes a long way to, uh, you know, keeping you more, uh I don't know. I don't know what I want to say there. Keeping you engaged, keeping you you know, from not having to get off the bike.
1: Yeah, just little movements, I think, because I think that's what probably makes the long rides harder is when you're just in the same position for too long. Yeah. If you can just shift in some way, shape, or form, it helps for that longevity of a, a long trip. That's for sure. So we talked about body and... Um, how you kind of get ready for that but the other aspect of it is obviously the motorcycle so how do you get that ready versus a trip where you're just going to go you know 100 miles and come back home when you're literally going to travel across country how do you get that bike ready
0: so you you got to take a few things into account i mean bikes normally have service intervals so you've got your your minor service intervals which are typically things like oil change maybe some filter changes but nothing major um, and then you have your big service intervals, which are like spark plugs, valve adjustments. You know, we're starting to get into the motor a little bit now. We might be cracking some valve covers off. So you need to figure out how many miles you're planning on riding. And, you know, your manual may say, hey, at fifth, you know, don't check the, the valve adjustments to, until 20,000 miles. If you're going to take a 4,000-mile motorcycle trip and you've got 19,000 on it, doesn't make any sense to wait to 20. Let's go ahead and have all that prep work done beforehand. It's okay to get off schedule. It's better to check those things and replace those things before they're due than long after they're due. At the same time, you need to think about your tires as well. Um, hopefully, you've got enough you know, knowledge about your tires to have an idea of how long they're going to last. So again, you may only have 1,000 miles on them, but if they're 5,000-mile tires and you're going to take a 5,000-mile trip, pop them off, get a fresh set on there. You can always put the other ones back on. I, I've done that for trips before where I'm like, oh, I'm going to ride 6,000 miles, and you know these tires already have three on them. I'll just put them back on later on. I know it's easy for me to say I've got a tire changer and balancer and all that sort of thing, but still, it, it's worth spending the you know 50 or 100 bucks or whatever it's going to cost to have somebody mount them for you. So that's the first part. Make sure the bike's ready to go mechanically, but – you also need to understand how your motorcycle works. I'm not saying you need to know how to, you know, replace the top end in it if it goes out alongside the road. But if you're faced with some sort of mechanical issue, you need to be able to diagnose a, is it serious or is it something I can let go for a while? And B, is it something I can kind of patch and be able to finish my trip? And I don't mean just like patching a tire, plugging a tire or something like that. Um, you know, when I took off on that Alaska Alaska trip, <laughs> I didn't get out of my driveway. I had an oil leak on my bike. Now, it was my fault, um, but I say it was my fault. It, it was sort of my fault. One of the uh, one of the valve cover gaskets, or not valve cover gaskets, but bolt gaskets was leaking. I had this thing mapped out perfectly. Like, I took time off work. I had exactly 21 days to get there and get back. If anything goes out of whack, I don't make it. There's the whole timeline. Yeah. Off. So... I'm freaking out and uh, I ended up calling John Ross and I knew what I wanted to do. I just needed him to say, yeah, that's the right thing to do. And he did. And I just ended up taking him because it's not like a huge issue. Yeah. I was going to lose a little bit of oil over time. Um, You know, it's not a catastrophic failure. And I just took a bunch of uh, high temp silicone and just put it around there and, I think, I think it held for something like 18,000 miles before I finally went back in and fixed the actual issue. But you need to have an understanding of your bike. And, you know, I think on that trip, like when I was in South Dakota, I was in the parking garage one night. I stripped my bike down, tank and everything's off of it. It takes me like 15 minutes. Yeah. I remember I, that picture. <laughs> yeah. And and people were like, oh my God, what's wrong with the bike? I'm like, eh, "It's no big deal. Like, I just wanted to seal it up a little bit better because I kind of did it on the fly. So you need to have a good understanding of your bike, how it works, not just you need to have a good understanding of how engines work and then also, you know, the specifics of your bike. Like you might have a chain drive bike or you might have a, a shaft drive bike or a belt drive. Having a basic understanding of the mechanics, you won't freak out if something goes wrong. Occasionally little things are going to go wrong. You just need to figure out or be able to uh, diagnose, is this serious? Like, is my trip over? Because I've always said, like, my car breaks down on a road trip. I don't care. I'll go run another car. My motorcycle breaks down and I'm going to be sad because this is the whole point of going. So yeah, it's just go over everything. Uh, the, the only other tip I'd give uh, don't leave on brand new tires. And I know I just said, replace your tires, but go scrub them in for about a hundred miles. And, and that's for a couple of reasons. Uh, one to make sure whoever put them on, whether it was you or the shop, they're actually properly balanced. So, you know, you, d- you don't get down the road and you get some sort of shake or wobble. And two uh, at least from my experience, normally after about a hundred miles, whatever air is going to seep out of them is kind of seeped out. Like they've got a good tight uh, seat on the bead at that point, and then you can top them off before you go. So, um, and it also just gets that kind of slippery, slimy part off of it. So you know you're not thrown in that first corner and it slides out from under you. So
1: yeah great advice. I think, you know, as you you mentioned, it's just all about that prep ahead of time, because there is a timeline when you're, you're traveling long mileage, you want to make sure that nothing kind of comes in the way. Obviously there's going to be some things that could be unforeseen, but the more that you can do to prevent that, the better that you get to accomplish your goals that you have out. So next question I have is just kind of, so how do you pack? Um, what do you take? You obviously can only fit so much in a motorcycle. I'm not sure if you take any like fire starter or like anything like that. I know you have some camera equipment as well.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's some guy that commented on like a, what two, three year old video. And was like, you're not prepared to drive ride cross country. You don't have any canteens or a fire starter or a tent. Do you won't survive? I don't, I didn't ruin the ending for him that not only did I ride to California and back, I rode to Alaska and back and I did not have one canteen or fire. Starter. Well, to be fair, I think you
1: did have a canteen. It was just called a flask.
0: Yeah, exactly. A little, little bit different. Um, yeah. So listen, I, I'm not going to knock the guys that that like to camp out. Like, that's cool. It's just not my thing. Like when I go on these types of trips, this is my vacation. Like that, that, that I don't go to Disney World for a week. I don't go to the beach for a week. I go on motorcycle trips. Um, and especially when I'm riding the amount of miles I ride in a day, I don't want to bank on sleeping on that cot in, in the campground. I'm going to get a good night's sleep that I'm not going to have some drunk, a few campsites over making noise. I'm staying in a hotel 99, 99 times out of 99. Like I'm, I'm always going to stay in a hotel or, or motel. Like I'm not staying in Marriott's every night. Like I'll stay in a motel six. I don't care. Clean, comfortable room. That's all I need. Um, So I don't have to pack all that stuff. Now, I obviously have a toolkit with me, um, and Cruise Tools makes an awesome toolkit. Some manufacturers still have decent toolkits. What I've done is used the Cruise Tool Toolkit along with some stuff I've stolen from the manufacturer's toolkit and just stuff I've found that I can use. Like Honda Bond is one of the greatest things ever. It'll seal up just about anything. Uh, Always have zip ties, always have uh, some sort of uh, electrical tape, duct tape, those sorts of things and just kind of make your own, uh, own toolkit. Uh, always take an air compressor with me with some plugs. Um, because you never know when you're going to have a puncture. I I run tubeless tires on my bike. Most street bikes are running tubeless tires these days. Uh, so you want to be able to fix that. Heck a, a good plug can get you through the rest of the trip. So, you know, don't be scared, but I still prefer the compressors as opposed to the CO2. Because the compressor, I can re-plug back in as long as I got battery or juice. Uh, With the CO2, nothing wrong with it. It packs much lighter because the compressor takes up more room. But once the CO2 runs out, you're out. And you can carry a few cartridges, but still. So, I mean, that's that's a personal preference thing. Um, I take tons of camera gear, which you really don't have to take unless you're making YouTube videos. A few other things. I always take my Atlas with me. Typically, I will take a bottle of water. Lots of times I'll just pick one up at a gas station and that's my bottle for the day. And then, you know, I'll buy another one later on. Um, take, some, take a rag with you or, or, or a towel so you can clean your uh, face shield up. I, I usually take a little bit of cleaner spray so I can clean my face shield and I can also clean my windshield on my bike and just keep the bike clean in general. If it's chain drive, make sure you've got a can of, uh, of, of chain lube with you. I don't really carry oil or, or anything like that with me. If you've done your route planning well enough, and, and again, we're talking about on-road riding, you can find a motorcycle shop along the way. Like, it's not going to be that difficult if you if you need to add some oil or, or whatever. Um, obviously, you're going to take cash, you're going to take credit card, you're going to take your IDs, those sorts of things. Uh, but when it comes to, like, packing clothes... I'm probably not going to eat any fancy restaurants while I'm on the trip just because I'm t-shirt and jeans and a pair of shorts. So, you know, I've gone over this not to plug my book again, but I did go over this in my book and I think I've gone over it in some videos in the past. Uh, I do the five day rule, I pack enough clothes for five days and then I just plan on doing laundry. Uh, you can find a, a hotel with a wash machine in it and and dryer that you go down and pay a buck and a half or whatever to take care of. Um, or you might, you might find a laundromat, that's, that sort of deal. So, yeah, I usually you just pack enough clothes for five days. Obviously, pack in layers. Never forget your rain gear, but like you and I talked about, now we're wearing, you know, Gore-Tex riding gear, so we don't have to bring the extra layers anymore. Um, charging cables, and that's not because of all the camera gear, but it's also because I run the headset. You've got a cell phone. You've got your, your GPS is normally plugged in. I don't think GPS is totally necessary. Um, I like it as a nice-to-have. But, you know, again, if you've studied your route well enough, you, you don't really need one. I really just use it to find out, hey, how far to the next gas station because I've got the route planned in. And it won't tell me in a radius. Oh, sorry. It won't tell me in a radius how far it is. It will tell me on my route like you can 20 miles There's there's one up the road sort of deal. So I don't know. I mean, I I, I think I covered just about everything. Sometimes I'll take two different pairs of gloves because, you know, you, you have like a. Depends on what time of year you're traveling. You may have like a warm weather pair and a little bit cooler weather pair because sometimes you'll get to some areas where it's kind of cold in the morning and you want a little bit warmer glove to wear. Sunglass. Oh yeah. Sunglasses, baseball cat. Can't go without those. It doesn't hurt to have some suntan lotion to throw on your face. Even if you've got a tinted shield, uh, you are going to be out in the, uh, in the weather quite a bit. So it does make sense to, um, to have some suntan lotion on your face. Uh, but yeah, sunglasses, baseball cap. I mean, just wear a baseball cap because if I don't, my hair is all jacked up. You got, you got helmet hair, no matter what, if you're bald, still take a baseball cap. You just don't want to burn the top of your head. So <laughs> great points. All right. So I think, uh, I think I'm a little talked out right now. I think we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back a little bit more rapid fire. And, uh, I think Brian's got some good questions planned. So, uh, we'll be back in just a few moments. If you're anywhere near the Mid Atlantic region and interested in testing your off road skills, I can't recommend the Sprint Cross Country Series or SXCS for short enough. They aren't even paying me to say this. SXCS is a unique nine race series featuring hair scrambles, GPs, and sprint enduros all in the same series. Founded by Billy and Nancy Schlag, there are classes for every age and every skill level of rider. Billy designs all the track layouts, which always have a great flow while still providing enough challenges to make it interesting. Even if you aren't interested in racing, be sure to check out the rider clinics they offer the day prior to the race, or just come out and trail ride for the day. SXCS is a very family-friendly series with plenty of great camaraderie, and should you decide to race, know Brian is one of the sweep riders, so he'll be out there to help you should you crash or have any trouble with your bike. Me, on the other hand, I'll be out there racing, so I'm probably going to run you over in an attempt to secure a few more points for the championship. In all seriousness, though, SXCS is a great series, and to find out more, just Google SXCS Racing or check out SXCS Racing on Facebook. And should you decide to show up to the track, be sure to stop by mine or Brian's camper to say hi. All right. All right. We are back. Uh, Brian, I'm going to turn it back over to you. I know you got some uh, additional questions you want to ask about some of my trips. So right on ahead. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. So I think the first one is,
1: you know, I always watch the videos and always see you accomplish a lot of great things of where you're going. But kind of as you're going through the trip, like what do you really enjoy the most about motorcycle traveling?
0: I mean, I will get some comments sometimes. Why do you ride so much in a day? Man, that's part of it. I I enjoy being on the bike. I enjoy riding. Uh, I try to get to some, uh, you know, some really cool routes. Other times it's just, uh, you know, we got to ride through Kansas. That's just one of the necessary evils to get out west sometimes or Nebraska or whatever the case may be. Um, so you just kind of have to hunker down and get through there. But but the riding is, is what I like the most. Um, but the other cool part about it is, listen, you pull in – to Colorado in your truck with West Virginia plates nobody says anything. You pulling it on your bike with West Virginia plates and a conversation starting. People are first one of the first questions you're going to get is did you ride all the way here? And when you say yes, it's did you really? Is there a trailer around here somewhere? <laughs> Where's and that I'm trailer? Like, nah, rode in. Um so I mean it's a great conversation starter. I know um you know, the people you meet along the way is awesome. I was up in, God, I can't remember. Was it Fort Nelson up in Canada? And I was standing at a uh, motel that night, and there was a V-Strom, uh, one room over, and it had I think it had California plates. And I parked my bike, went in, unloading stuff. Excuse me. And you uh, hear a knock on the door. I just knew it was the guy on the V-Strom. I mean, who else is going to come and knock on your door? He comes over and I said, is that your bike there? I said, yeah. He said, West Virginia. I said, yeah. He goes, well, I'm from Clark. I'm originally from Clarksburg, West Virginia. Guy and I ended up hanging out the rest of the night. I was, I was solo on that trip. We were drinking scotch out by the campfire and then we were over having pizza like, and I've stayed in contact with him to this day. So, you know, that, that's a pretty cool part. The other thing is that kind of separates it because I always hear the, well, I couldn't ride that far in a car. I couldn't either. Like, in a car, you're kind of stuck in that seat where I just said. I mean, you can't stand up in your car. And like I said, you know, when you roll into town, sometimes it helps stand up. You can stretch your legs out a little bit. You can move around in different positions. But the other cool part about it is you feel like you're a part of the area you're in because you're not behind a windshield. You're not covered by a roof. Like, whatever uh, smells are out there, whatever. I mean, the, the the temperature, like like everything. You feel all of it, and you just feel more connected. And it it also makes it more fun, like, you plan your route because you're on a motorcycle. Like if you're on a car trip, you may plan it somewhat because you're in a car. Like maybe there's, but if you're driving like a family sedan, you're probably not picking out windy roads where I might intentionally do that on my bike. And the other neat thing about it is there's almost always enough room to pull off to the side of the road. If you want to grab a quick picture or see something a little bit closer or whatever, where in a car or or truck or whatever, Shoulder might not be wide enough, but on the bike, you know, I can hop off the side of the road. Yeah, I think that's,
1: you know, maybe there's some people out there that do this, but I don't think anyone gets in their car and goes, I'm just excited about driving my car. They're going there to get to a certain destination. And while you're doing that as well, you're trying to get to destination. You're enjoying the ride as it goes, and I think that's what's great on two wheels.
0: Yeah, I mean, we always try to, you know, like connect the dots and find cool places to go visit. And, And when Kristen and I are traveling together... I give her tons of input. Like she always finds cool stuff that we, that she's interested in seeing. And what's funny is, I mean, there's been some trips where she's like, I really want to go see this. And I'm kind of like, eh, okay. Well, I mean, we'll go see it. I'm not going to complain, but it wouldn't have been something that, on. and then we go check it out and it's, well, crap. I'm glad she added that. Like, this is one of the highlights of the trip. And and I think vice versa, there's been some stuff I've wanted to go see. And she's going kind of, eh, okay. And then she goes and I'm like, oh man, I'm glad we saw this. So, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, that, that part's kind of neat because there are so many cool things in the U S to see. The U S is huge. There's a lot of cool stuff to see yet. You can get around fairly easily, but you know, we're, you know, we live here in the, I know you're not in Northern Virginia, but the the DC Metro area and we're used to everything being on top of each other. So when we take off on a trip, we'll hear things, Oh, be careful. And I'm like, We'll get out to parts of Montana. We may not see another human being for an hour and a half. Like, it's huge.
1: Yeah, and as you said, United States is huge. And I think what we do is normally we pick, when you're not doing motorcycling, you pick a place where you fly to, and you see that place. I think the difference is with a motorcycle is you're going through all the small towns, all these places you never would have flown to and visited. Yep.
0: But you're going through tons
1: of them over the course of a trip.
0: Yeah, and it's really cool. And, and you know, it's one of those things where I like to make notes and go, I want to go check this place out because you don't know what you don't know. And you can hop on the internet and you can read on, on forums or you can watch TV shows, but there's some stuff that's still kind of, I don't want to say it's undiscovered. Like some people know, but it's not, it's not mass known and you go check it out and you're like, man, I could have spent like two, three days here instead of the one night that, that we just happened to be here. Yeah. So next question
1: around that traveling aspect. Mm So uh, big foodie, Mm I am, and I enjoy kind of going to restaurants that I can't eat here. So if sure. I'm traveling, I want to eat at some place that I couldn't go to if I'm at home. So what was uh, the best meal or your
0: favorite restaurant that you've done on your travels? So probably the best best meal I've had and also the most expensive meal I can remember uh, buying. Uh, Kristen and I were out in Jackson, Wyoming, which is not a cheap place typically to visit anyway. And there's a steakhouse. It's actually a pretty nice steakhouse down in in the basement of uh, what's it called Million Million Dollar Cowboy Bar. We were totally underdressed, like jeans and a t-shirt, because that's what you pack in your saddlebags. Uh, but so we decided, well, if we sit up at the bar, we won't stick out as bad. I don't remember what we had for an appetizer. Whatever it was, was excellent. Um, They had Wyoming whiskey. First time I ever tried it. That stuff's pretty good. A little bit harder to find, but I, I know a place locally that's got it. Nice. Um And then she ordered the elk burger, which she enjoyed and, and was enjoying it until she tried my steak. And I don't remember the name or the name of the cut, but holy crap was that good. Like it was, it was perfect. And then she tried that and then, there was a fight back and forth as to who's going to have to eat the <laughs> yeah. Elk burger. Um, and then I, I don't remember what we had for dessert that night, but that restaurant was just phenomenal. I think the check was, which I'm going to say this. And some people are going to say that's not expensive and, and it's not normally like one, one meal will be an expensive meal and the rest of them are, you know, your typical Fifty, sixty dollars, sort of like that. I think that one was well above two hundred. So wow, yeah. But you're still talking about it, so it had to be. Worth well, I know. It. I mean, that was back in what 2017. I'm still talking about that meal. So that's that's the one I remember most. There was a steakhouse that was just it just happened to be next to the hotel we were staying at. God, I'm trying to remember the name of the town, but it was somewhere in Tennessee, and we were getting ready to ride tail the dragon the next day. Might have been. Yeah, I don't remember the name of the town. It was it was either Tennessee or North Carolina, but it was just a steakhouse next door. I think I paid like $12 for a steak, and that was an excellent steak. I still remember that one. I want to go back down there. I'll, I'll know it when I see it, but no, there's – I'm with you. I like to eat at places I can't get to, you know, unless I'm – you know, I, I don't want to go – there's n- nothing against Outback or, you know, Texas Roadhouse or whatever, but I want to eat at those places when I'm on a trip. I will occasionally because – you're just in an area that it didn't work out tonight. There's no real like cool place to eat. So you'll Convenience so, factor. Yeah, exactly. But try
1: not to make a habit of that. Okay, great. So next thing I want to ask is just around with all this traveling and all this mileage, and we talked about kind of planning your trip. There has to be some times where you hit some weather that really kind of derailed the trip. How do you handle that? And what was the one of the crazier ones that you, you had?
0: Yeah, so I kind of touched on one where you know we were supposed to go to Rocky, Mount, Rocky Mountain National Park and we couldn't because it was going to be raining the next few days. So uh, we ended up going to the Grand Canyon. So that worked out fine. Um, <laughs> we ended up—I don't remember what year this was, 2017, I think. I just remember riding through South Dakota and look, looking ahead, and the sky's just black. So I pulled up, uh, pulled up the radar there, and I saw the storm moving towards us. And it's not like being like in this area we're in or more of a metropolitan area where there's like places you can get out of the weather. We're in the middle of nowhere. And there was a town probably 25 miles ahead and storms moving quick. And, you know, those of you that live out West, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but those of you on the East Coast, you can see a lot further out West. I mean, the sky's huge. Like you can you can see a hundred miles away. It's crazy. And I just kind of put the hammer down and I thought, well, we'll see if we can get to that town before the storm gets there. And to be honest, we only beat it by a minute, two minutes. Wasn't much. And I'm just like looking at buildings. I'm like, where can I, because one, I didn't want the bike damaged because they were calling for softball size hail. We ended up not getting quite that, but we did get hail. And, uh, I was just looking for a place. I get the bike out of the way. Cause I didn't want it damaged. The bike was still pretty new at that point in time. And, um, and one, I didn't want to get myself or Kristen damaged, so shot down to like a gas station or whatever, and they were like, "You got to get out of this weather." And of course, they got like this big overhang, but it's too high to like really protect you from anything. So, <laughs> thank God I was on an adventure bike because I ended up hopping up on the on the porch of the Pizza Ranch, so this wooden porch, and just parking my bike there. And fortunately, everybody was really cool inside there, like you guys can stay as long as you want. So, storm ended up blowing over. And that put us behind. We ended up not getting to ride some things we wanted to ride that day. So that one we kind of dodged. But going back to that Iron Butt trip, the the plan with that was ride down to Key Western a day and then ride back to like maybe Georgia the next day and then ride all the way home the following day. And I got caught in probably the worst thunderstorm ever. I was on my FJR. I'm going down I-95 and you just see the clouds rolling in. Oh, I wonder how far I can make it. And uh, they were on me before I knew it. I ended up—I think it's—it's probably the first time I ever pulled under over uh, under an overpass just because I'd always just ridden through everything before. But it the rain was coming down too hard, wind was blowing too hard, and I remember I called my uncle, and I uh, actually I called him before I pulled over, and I was like, "Hey, can you pull up the weather channel and tell me what's going on?" And he was like need to get off the road as soon as possible. I think I ended up staying in Palm Bay that night, but then there was another I was right in between the two exits, like it was 6 miles one way or 6 miles back the other. I had no option. So, I kind of waited it out as long as I could under the overpass and things were just getting worse and it's also getting later in the day now. So, I need to find a room. <laughs> I was basically walking my bike down the shoulder of the interstate now I've got, I'm on the bike, but I mean, the wind's blowing so hard and it's not just the wind blowing. Like if the wind's blowing hard, you can lean into it, but when it's gusting, you, you can't anticipate that. So ended up getting off the exit. And as I'm coming down the exit, the water is so deep, like it's coming down so fast. It can't drain anywhere. It's up over the foot pegs of my FJR so creek crossing I, oh it, it was it was all you know you're doing this on like a 660 pound bike without your gear so i made it to uh, i think it was like a holiday inn and i walked in and this is no joke they had to bring out mops to mop up all the water i brought in off of me <laughs> so made it in safe uh, i think i parked the bike under the the overhang there and i uh, went up I wasn't going anywhere like i'm I'm dead at this point I'm just happy- I say I'm dead, I'm alive, I'm wore out, I'm just happy to be alive and I called don- don I think it was Domino's pizza, and I was like, yeah, hey, and the guy was like, I don't know if we can deliver. I heard the roads <laughs> flooded, and I'm gonna edit what I actually said, but um, it was something like uh, well, sir. I uh, made it here on my motorcycle so you can <laughs> deliver it in your car. And they they did deliver. It might have been pizza, whatever it was, but I did get my pizza that night. But that was probably the gnarliest uh, weather I'd ever ridden in. And I, I hope... The the rain was bad. The wind was bad. But the combination of the two is what, is what made it so nasty. So you obviously stopped and you,
1: you got the hotel because at the end of the day, you already accomplished the iron butt you wanted. So the, the real question is, what happens if you hit that storm on the way down and you're almost
0: there completing your iron, butt, what would you do? And you you got to pull the plug. I mean, yeah, the, the goal of whatever you have set. And in that case, the iron butts cool. But uh, if you don't, I don't want to say if you don't get the iron butt, but if you don't live to, to you know, ride another day, it's not really worth it. So, I mean, the main thing there was to get off the road safely. Yeah, it ended up taking me, like, another day and a half to get home. I had to call off work that Monday. I feel like I had a pretty good excuse. I'm sure my boss was thinking, well, how did you think you were going to make it to Key West and back in three days anyway? But, um, yeah, th- that's, that's kind of the, you know, I'm not an iron butt expert. I've done one of them, but you got to keep that in the back of your mind. Like you have your goal you want to accomplish, but you you don't want to risk too much to try to try to get that. No, you, you rather, uh,
1: miss the iron button ride another day. So that great point is safety's important. So that brings, you know, a good segment into the next one. What is, uh, one of your scariest moments that you've had on a motorcycle on one of your trips?
0: Hmm. I mean, obviously that Florida moment, that storm was pretty bad. Um, I don't know if I'd cons consider this scary, but definitely like a butt pucker moment. Um, <laughs> well, actually, two of them uh, riding through Alaska. Uh, you know, I don't know how many of you listening to this have seen moose in real life, but however, if you have never seen one in real life, however big you think they are, double or triple that, and that's how big they are. And you know, it kind of looks like they just kind of lope along, and they don't have any speed. No, those things are like as nimble and as quick as like a deer, but they're like the size of an elephant. I mean, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but they're huge. And um, I'm pretty sure I was in Alaska. I might've been in Canada that morning and I'm just riding along and there was a pretty big drop off like drainage ditch over to the right. So you couldn't really see. And (laughs) next thing I know, this, this moose is right in the middle of the road. And that is not something you want to run into. So so that was one. Um, and the other thing about that is you're out in the wild. Like you'll see that at Yellowstone or, or other national parks. Maybe not moose, but wild animals. And I don't want to say they're tame because they're not. Um, but it's a little different probably coming up at speed. Exactly. Like that. I- yeah. I- exactly. And they're not used to being around as many people. Like you're out on the Alaska Highway, you'll see a few dozen people throughout the day out there, maybe more than maybe a hundred, but you're going through a national park. You see thousands of people and that's every single day. Um, and then, you know, there was another incident, same thing, another moose. I, I just pulled over to like, I, I left that morning and I realized eh, I wore my lightweight gloves. I should have put my, I, pulled over, I got ready to pull over in this parking lot and mama moose and baby moose were there Nah. Stay away a, from Mama Moose. Yeah, don't don't want to deal with that. So Yeah, I mean there's there's been some wild animal things that have happened. Overall, it's been pretty safe. Um you know, there there's been not scary. I mean, there's been areas where roads roads are out and you're riding on well, not necessarily dirt, but you know, like mud or whatever and you've got a street tire on because you're on a street bike and you just got to be able to handle those, but Fortunately I have not been anything too scary other than that Florida moment and the in the occasional wild animal that uh you know the you're not gonna win that battle. I guess the only other thing I point out, and again, it's another wild animal moment. I was coming back through Canada and uh, there's a stretch of highway there where there was there's just buffalo known to be out there. And the problem is like the people in the RVs and SUVs, they'll pull over and take pictures and that's nice because they're well protected. I had on my Alpine Stars riding suit and my showy helmet. Like that's all I've got, and I just remember there were there were bison on both sides of the road, and they're kind of crossing. I'm like, okay, all right, I'll slow down, but then they start crossing behind you. So now you start to realize I have bison on all four sides of me please somebody clear the road because I don't want to be my bike's fast, but it doesn't matter if they're hitting you. Yeah. If you got a roadblock of Buffalo. Yeah, Knock you off. So now I guess those are the thing it, it, for the most part, been, been, been fairly safe.
1: Great. Great. And I think the one thing that you, you talked about is kind of about anticipation. I've talked a lot of, to a lot of people and they have a lot of more scary moments I feel like than I have. And I haven't rode near as much as you, but I think I've avoided a lot of them just because I'm anticipating stuff that's going to happen. So I never get in that scary moment because I've already, I know it's coming.
0: Yeah. I mean, and part of that comes down to your planning. Like I don't do a whole lot of riding around major cities. And if I am going to come into a major city for something, I try to hit it in off hours. I, you know, I don't be riding into downtown Seattle at eight o'clock in the morning. That's just silly. You know, you want to hit that up noon, one o'clock, something like, and then try to get back out of there before, you know, everybody's leaving from work. And, and same thing with, you know, any of the, any of the other roads you're riding, you want to ride within your pace, uh, ride within your skill level. And you know, where you're riding in areas where, you know, there's going to be wild animals, just slow down and, and kind of enjoy it. Like it was fun. You and I were talking a few weeks ago. Um, cause People always ask me, do you run your GoPro all the time? I'm like, no, I just run it when I see interesting things. And I missed like whatever it was, the first six, seven bears as I was riding down. I caught like the next six or seven after that. But I'm aware there's bears all over the place and there were bison all over the place and those sorts of things. So just just slow down because it's, it, it, it's not worth uh, getting too up close and personal with those things. All right,
1: great. So you've obviously traveled a lot of places. You've knocked out all the states that you can ride to. So, where would you go back to that you've already been?
0: Deadwood, South Dakota. That's your favorite. (laughs) I don't know what it is about Deadwood. Like, this was the, let's say this, 2019 was the first year in like the last, I don't know, four or five years that I didn't go to Deadwood. I think it's just cool. Uh, I'm a fan of the show Deadwood. I like all the history and stuff that's going on there. The fact that you can gamble, you can get good steaks, you can get good drinks, you know, those sorts of things. And then you're so, you're right there in the Black Hills I know most people would probably pick out Sturgis because that's like the Mecca for, for bike rally. Eh, it's like 10 minutes down the road. Um, but there's there's so much good riding there in the Black Hills. And I think for me, it's like once you get there, there's so many other great areas you can ride, whether you want to go further west or or, or southwest or, or, or southeast or, or whatever. I, I don't know what it is. That's just a cool place. I would like to get back up to the Finger Lakes in New York. That's something I haven't been to. And we just rode through there. And, you know, we were checking it out along. It wasn't a planned stop. We didn't stop. We didn't have time to stop. We were. It was over like a long holiday weekend. But I remember saying back in 14 or 15, whenever that was, I'd like to get back up there. And I haven't been able to do that yet. So lots of uh, grapes.
1: Really? Lots of grapes up there. It's uh, wine country.
0: I'm going to hang out up there. I just remember <laughs> yeah. seeing like, It looked like people were having such a good time in the small towns and out on, out on the water and those sorts of things that wanted to get back up there. So, yeah, cool. So.
1: Best stretch of road, and I'm going to make it a little tougher because you're not allowed to use West Virginia because we know they have some amazing roads. But where else?
0: Yeah. Hmm. I mean, the and I and I just talked about them. The the Black Hills has some has some great stretches of road, but you didn't eliminate the Appalachian Mountains, so I'm probably going to have to go with going down in Tennessee. I mean, that's some great riding, and, and to be fair. Listen, Colorado's got some great places to ride, too. But I've missed a couple of those areas that I haven't got to ride yet that may change my opinion later on. Uh, and maybe I'll nudge that up a little further. But, yeah, I mean, Tennessee's got some... And not just the Dragon. Everybody knows the Dragon. It, it's fine. But but what's funny is if I didn't tell you you were on the Dragon, you wouldn't know that it was that much different than the roads that you took to get there. And then, you know, there's... I, just anywhere in the Appalachian Mountains is fun to ride. Tennessee's got some great places. North Carolina does too, especially down in that area. Uh, getting down through Maggie Valley, there's some cool stuff. And what's really neat about that is you can turn that into a trip where you're riding like you know the Blue Ridge Parkway, and then jump over into into those areas and ride through Tennessee, and even even get down to Alabama. I mean, that's that's some really good riding. Yeah, so for those people on the
1: west coast that say we don't have mountains, we just have hills, we actually do have some some good riding, and it's it's definitely worth the trip. Well,
0: and that's the thing; like, we don't have the height and stuff that they have, but and we probably don't have some of the scenic views they have. We do have we got some nice riding. those twisties, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: All right, great. So with you going to all the the states, there's still a very uh, vast amount of the states you know as you're passing through certain ones or you ride certain areas are there any places that you still want to go that you haven't been to
0: yeah i want to so i want to get to tombstone not that i think that's going to be like the greatest riding thing to get to tombstone i mean i'll find a great route along the way but i just mean like that specific area Uh, but i kind of touched on it there with colorado i've yet to ride million dollar highway and that's because each trip weather has popped up the the two times I've been out there and it just could I have ridden it? Yes. Was I going to miss the, uh, the experience of it because it's raining or because you know, the, the weather's bad. Yeah. So it didn't make sense to do it. So, uh, I do want to go out and ride that. There's some parts of Southern California. I haven't got to ride yet that I want to go check out. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the trail down in Arkansas. I still want to ride and I want to get up to Mackinac Island. Obviously, they won't let you ride the bike on Mackinac Island, but. Just a place to get to. I'd still like to get up to there. Yeah. I mean, I want to go up and ride those parts of
1: Michigan. So my last question, Mm -hmm. and maybe this is a bit selfish. As I said, I'm really looking forward to do a big trip here in the near future. So what are kind of the three top tips to someone that wants to take a, you know, a trip? Like maybe they've only kind of done the smaller um, overnight weekend. Maybe they've never done anything. So what are the top three tips that you'd give?
0: It's tough because we've gone over a lot of stuff already tonight that that, that hopefully people find useful. Um, I guess the first one is you can't do everything. You know, every trip I take, you know, I get the, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you? But, but if I were to take everyone's recommendation, my 10-day long trip just became a three-year trip. You're, you're not going to get it all. Uh, so just be prepared for that. You know, pick out those one or two must-dos. And you can make those happen. Outside of that, it's a bunch of maybes. If everything works out well, you know, we don't hit traffic. You know, we don't hit bad weather. We, you know, all all this type of stuff. Um, But you know, hit hit the things you want to hit. But just be prepared to know you're not going to get everything, and you're going to start planning. And it's, oh man, I wanted to get this. You're going to have to make you're going to make tough decisions. But always look at it this way: I'll get it next time because there's all. Okay, I get there's not always going to be a next time. But at least in my mind, I know I'm going out on another trip next year. I'll, I'll, I'll hit it on that one. Or I'll hit it on the one after that. So that's the first thing. Um, second thing is, you know, do do your research. Plan. Um, you know, I've I've hit road closures. I've hit bad weather. I mean, there's even been times where I've looked at the weather map, and then I pull out the Atlas, and I'm like, you know what? We're going around that storm. We're not even going to deal with it. Um but, but be prepared, do, do do your planning, know your route inside and out, know all your possible alternative routes, um, and and look at it every morning before you take off, just to refresh your memory. I, I do that every morning. I, I pull out where our stops are going to be. Uh, I pull out my, my Atlas, and I just kind of retrace everything, and sometimes I'll look at it that morning and just change it on the fly just because, I don't know, that road looks like more fun today, and I want to take it, so... And then uh, the other thing, I mean, just, just enjoy it. I mean, that's the, that's the biggest thing. Don't worry about whether or not you're going to make it to the next, that next point. Don't you, you are going to have your plan, but if the plan doesn't work out. It's all right. Enjoy it. You're going to have so much fun along the way. And if I were to add a three B to that, just go out and do it. Even if you don't listen to anything we went over tonight and you just want to go out and wing it, go out and wing it. And I've, Probably this is like the third episode we mentioned Rusty. Rusty just took off one day on his bike and came back like, you know, three or four days later. That was his first ever trip. He didn't even know where it was. Just go out and do it. You're going to enjoy it, and you can figure out the rest along the way. Nobody starts out as an expert. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, and then that's like, okay, well, now I want to go listen to other podcasts about it or go watch more YouTube videos about it. That's fine right now because it's, depending on when you're listening to this, we'll just say it's February or March when this posts. That's fine. But once it gets warm, stop doing your research, even though I said do your research. But go out and do it and just try it. And I think you're going to enjoy it.
1: Awesome. Yeah, that's all the questions I have, and I just want to thank you. I mean, I, this is some really great insight. I'd, I'd like to say that I'm over here taking notes, but I don't have to because I can just reference this podcast. <laughs>
0: exactly. Maybe we'll get to the point where we put timestamps in, but I'm a little too lazy to do that and a little too busy to do it right now. So, any other questions you want to ask tonight, Brian? No, we're good. It's, Thanks. Open, for, it's open forum.
1: Yeah, I'm sure we'll get some in the comments. All so, right. for those on YouTube, just yeah, leave a, an additional comment in the bottom.
0: Yeah, and if you're not watching it on YouTube and you're listening to it on a podcast platform, obviously... There's not a way to leave a comment, but if you head over to the uh, Facebook page Two Wheeled Rider, uh go go comment. just go drop a comment on the page, or if we've got the uh we've got the the video linked to it, drop a comment under there. Um or you can just send us an email at twowheeledrider.com. D it's two the number two wheeled rider, D-O-T-C-O-M at gmail.com, if that makes sense. So Hey, man, I enjoyed it again tonight, but we got to get some sleep because uh, we got to get up early tomorrow morning and go ride dirt bikes in Costa Rica, which we did not have to plan because we have our own guide. So I feel like I'm kind of cheating.
1: Yeah, it's going to be great. I can't (laughs) wait and escape this cold weather here on the East Coast. Yeah, I
0: think it was like the high was like 30 today and the low down there is... At night, is like upper 60s and the highs most days. What did you say? It's getting up to like 100? 100, yeah. It's crazy. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed tonight's uh, podcast. If you did and you're watching us on YouTube, please be sure to give us a big thumbs up. If you're uh, listening to us on one of the podcast platforms and you haven't given us a rating yet and you enjoyed tonight's podcast, please be sure to give us a rating. Uh, If you want to give us a little bit more time or you want to listen to a few more before you give us a five-star rating, that is cool. Once again, my name is Mario Orsini, and I'm joined by... Brian Boyer. We'll talk to you guys again soon.